Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. We appreciate your presence. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to try to use this chalkboard in a minute. And I'm not a chalkboard preacher per se, but I do think sometimes we can use something like this to help illustrate some points, and so that's the goal tonight. So I hope you'll bear with me. I'm not saying that it's going to be a smooth transition by any means, but I hope that I can use this to show you what the Bible has to say about being baptized into Christ. And let me just also add this. We ordered a whiteboard, and we expected it to be here the end of last week. It didn't get here, so that's why we're using this tonight. So Dio graciously said we could borrow his chalkboard, and so we're going to try to use that in just a moment or two. I appreciate so much your presence. We said last week that we're going to try to deal with some fundamentals, some of the basics, what the Bible has to say. Whatever the topic, when it comes to religious matters, we always need to make sure that we go to the Bible. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Paul asked this question, What does the Scripture say? So whatever the topic, whether we're talking about the church, baptism, the Lord's Supper, worship, Christian living, Whatever the subject may be, we always want to consult what the Scriptures have to say. Peter said it like this, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 11. So what I want to do tonight is to ask the question, Why be baptized? It might be the case that somebody will ask you at some point in time, somebody may have already asked you, Why do I need to be baptized? Why were you baptized? That's a question to ponder. Why were you baptized into Christ? If somebody were to stop you at work or at school, or maybe you're chatting with a neighbor, and you begin to talk about religious matters, and you bring up baptism, and they ask you, why were you baptized? What would you say? How would you answer them? What I want to do tonight is a very simple, very basic lesson. First, I want to talk about what the Bible says about baptism. And then I want to talk about the blood and baptism. Thirdly, the body and baptism. That is, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And then, obviously, what the Bible has to say. Before we begin... I want to emphasize the fact that everything that we say, hopefully and prayerfully, is founded upon a thus saith the Lord. We talk about the authority of the Scriptures. What I'm going to share with you tonight is not my opinion. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to share with you tonight is not popular at all in the religious world at large. What I'm going to be talking about tonight is absolutely foreign to most people in the religious world. The question is, not is it foreign to the religious world, is it foreign to Scripture? And so we begin by, first of all, emphasizing the authority of the Bible. Paul said every Scripture inspired of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So we're appealing to the Scriptures, understanding that the Word of God is our guide in matters of faith and practice. Do you remember the Apostle Peter said that God has given unto us all things that pertain 
to life and godliness in 2 Peter chapter 1. That means everything we need to know about life in Christ and living a godly life is found in this book. We call it the Bible. And so, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, here's what Jesus said, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, as Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As the King of kings and Lord of lords, He has been endowed with all authority. And God the Father said this about the Son when He was transfigured on the mountain. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Whatever the subject may be, we want to make sure that we listen to Jesus and to the voice of the apostles, the apostles' doctrine. In Colossians chapter 3, at verse 17, Paul said, Whatsoever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God the Father through Him. That means to simply do it by His authority. So when we talk about baptism, we're talking about something that rests under the threshold of the authority of Christ. So here's what we want to do. First, let's think about what Jesus said regarding baptism. If Jesus has all authority, and He does, doesn't it seem like a good place to start by asking, what did Jesus teach about baptism? The passage that was read a moment ago, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. That's not about what Jesus said, that's what He said. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of, end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So Jesus, in giving the Great Commission, stresses New Testament baptism. Why? Because baptism is cross-centered. It is Christ-centered. And then I think about during the personal ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 3, John talks about when Jesus spoke to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jewish people. He came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs, the miracles which you do, unless God is with him. And here's what Jesus said. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does he mean, be born again? The new birth. He's talking about baptism here. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be, and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus went on to say, Marvel not that I say unto you, Listen to him, You must be born again. So I want to ask you a question. Based on what the Lord has said concerning baptism, is it an option or an obligation? Jesus said, you must be born again. 
Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom, and the kingdom is the church. You remember in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, when John the Baptist began preaching in the wilderness of Judea, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus echoed those same sentiments in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus said, there are some of you standing here that shall not taste death till you see the kingdom of God come with power. The kingdom is the church. They're used interchangeably in a number of places. And so the Lord is saying, if you want to be a part of my body, my kingdom, my church, then you've got to be born again. That is, you've got to be baptized. So, Jesus' own record as endorsing baptism, isn't it? Well, what about the Apostle Peter? Do you remember Jesus, based on the good confession that Peter made, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus promised to build His church in Matthew 16, 18. And then He said that He would give unto Peter, and of course to the other apostles, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter on Pentecost Day is recorded by Luke the historian as preaching the first gospel sermon. In Acts chapter 2 and about verse 22, he said, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel, foreknowledge of God, he said, You have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and slain. They were guilty of putting Jesus to death, weren't they? Peter pointed out that the same Jesus that they had put to death, God raised him up. And they were witnesses. They could attest to that fact. And so in verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus now occupies a spiritual throne. It is the throne of David. And he reigns and rules today at the right hand of God. Now the Bible says when they heard this, they were pricked or cut to the heart. And they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and here's what they asked. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 38. Is that what people in the world, religiously speaking, is that what they quote when it comes to salvation? Typically, no. As a matter of fact, what you typically hear is something along the lines of invite the Lord Jesus into your heart and then... And then recite this prayer after me, and God will save you. Well, I want to ask this question. Did Peter know what he was talking about? Peter was an inspired apostle, wasn't he? Jesus said, I'll give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so here is Peter, an inspired apostle, preaching to a multitude of people. And they were cut, pricked in their hearts. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, look, number one, you need to repent. They already believed in the Lord Jesus. And he said, number two, you need to be baptized. Why? So that all your sins can be washed away. Well, why not just say, why not recite after me this prayer? And then you'll be saved. Because that's not what the Holy Spirit instructed him to say, is it? So am I honest if I tell somebody to do something other than what the Scriptures say? 
Now you think about, here's what Jesus said about being baptized. He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. You can't miss that. Well, what did Peter say? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. That is, in order that your sins might be forgiven. If you can't understand that, then let me tell you what, you'll make it, as, as the fellow said one time, on a baby's ticket. Really. If you can't understand that, that's as plain and simple as it could possibly be. Now in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter said, The like figure whereunto, listen to him, baptism doth also now save us. What did you say, Peter? Peter said that baptism saves us. Baptism and baptism alone? Absolutely not. Proceeded, though, by faith in Christ. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, He said, you'll die in your sins. Proceeded by repentance, Acts 2, verse 38, repent. Proceeded by confessing the name of Christ before others, Acts 8, verse 37. And then being baptized into Christ. A friend of mine told me years ago that he studied with a friend of his or with someone. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, read it, and tell me what it says. So we went to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, where Peter said, Baptism doth also now save us. He said, the Bible says, Baptism saves us. And then he qualified it by saying, but that's not what I believe. Now I want to ask you, is that, is that a correct assessment of what Peter said? Either what Jesus said is true or it's false. What Peter said is either true or false, isn't it? Well, what about Philip? You remember Jesus had said to the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would be His witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and then to Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost end of the world. Well, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible talks about this great persecution that swept the early church. So everyone is scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. They remained in Jerusalem. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the Word. Why? Because the power's in the Word. In verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and did what? Preached Christ unto the people. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, the Bible says, when they believed Philip, preaching things concerning the kingdom of God. What is that? The church. And the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Listen to what Luke said. They were baptized, both men and women. Why do you think they were baptized? To be saved, Mark 16, 16. To enjoy the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. To enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1, verse 3. A little bit later, Philip goes to what we would call a great gospel meeting to a private meeting. He has the opportunity to sit down with a man from Ethiopia, a man of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man is on his way back home. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. As he's riding back, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. When he encounters Philip, Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And here's what he said, How can I accept some man guide me? There's a time and place for people to teach, isn't there? 
So Philip gets in the chariot with this eunuch. And the Bible says, beginning at that same scripture, that is Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant, the coming of the Messiah. Luke said, beginning at that same scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. Now, I want you to look some, at something very quickly with me. Look at Acts chapter 8. I want you to see something in the text. I want you to take my word for it, but I want you to see it in black and white. Look at Acts chapter 8. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, could I ask you a question? How did this man know anything about being baptized? Did Luke tell us that Philip preached baptism to him? Is that what the text says? Read it again. Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? You know why Philip preached baptism to him? Because the only way you can be saved is to be baptized into Christ, Mark 16, 16. The only way you can enjoy the remission of sins is to be baptized, Acts 2, verse 38. The only way that you can be a child of God is to be baptized, Acts chapter 8, verse 12. So Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, he said, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Bible says in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Look at verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Why did he rejoice? Because he was a Christian. Because he enjoyed all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. He could rejoice because his name was now written in the Lamb's book of life, Luke chapter 10. So, Jesus endorsed, endorsed baptism. Peter, an inspired apostle, endorsed baptism. Philip, an evangelist, endorsed baptism. Well, what about Paul? What about the Apostle Paul? What did he have to say? Surely what he had to say would conflict with what Jesus said, or what Peter said, or what Philip said. No, they harmonize, don't they? Why? Because Paul was an inspired preacher. And he had the opportunity to meet a man by the name of Ananias, whom the Lord had appeared to. Saul of Tarsus was met by the Lord on the road to Damascus. And Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was a church wrecker. And so Ananias is summoned. Paul goes to Damascus. As a matter of fact, the record tells us in Acts chapter 9 that it would be told him what he must do. For three days he doesn't eat. He's praying to God. When Ananias comes on the scene, what did Ananias say? Did he put his hands on Saul and say, Brother Saul, I appreciate the fact that you are a child of God. Let's go to work. Didn't say that, did he? No, he said, Arise and be baptized and what? Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
Now, a lot of folks will tell you today, all you got to do is say the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Well, Paul was praying, but he wasn't saved, was he? Paul wasn't saved until he was baptized into Christ. Does that negate the grace of God? Absolutely not. Paul said the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He said this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So, Saul of Tarsus said that he was, that he was baptized for what purpose? To wash away his sins. You see, Jesus said that those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Peter said those who repent and are baptized will enjoy the remission of sins. Ananias told Saul that when he was baptized, all of his sins would be washed away. Can you be saved any other way? Absolutely not. Well, why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, I want you to look very quickly at Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see this. I want you to underline it. Make a, make a notation, if you would, because it's very important. How many times do you hear people, when they discuss baptism, how many times do they tell you baptism is a work? If you're baptized, then you're working your way into heaven. I want to ask you a question. Where in the Bible do you read, and I'm talking about from Matthew to Revelation, where in the Bible do you ever read that baptism is a work? Belief is a work. Repentance is a work. When I am baptized, am I engaging in some type of work? Look at Colossians chapter 2. And look at verse 11. Paul said, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Under the old covenant, circumcision was a sign or seal of God's covenant relationship with His people. It involved the cutting away of skin. Spiritually speaking, what Paul is saying is this. When we obey the gospel, our sins are cut away. They're washed away. They're removed. So look at verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism, in which also you were raised with Him through faith in the working of God. Some translations say, through the operation of God. I want to ask you a question. When a person is baptized, who's doing the work? The person being baptized or God? God is the one performing the surgery, isn't He? God's the one that is cutting away the sin, removing the sin. So in verse 13 He said, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He is made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So, what does the Bible have to say about baptism? Well, here's what, I can, here's what I can deduce. Jesus endorsed it. And God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And He said, You hear Him. The Apostle Peter, who was inspired of God, Peter endorsed it. Number three, Philip the evangelist. He preached baptism. He preached the church. He endorsed it. The Apostle the Apostle Paul, he said the means by which he became a child of God was not praying to God, but was by being baptized into Christ so that all of his sins could be washed away. How in the world do people miss that? How could anybody miss that? That's what the Bible teaches. No more, no less. 
Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight. It has to do with the blood of Christ and baptism. What is it that washes away our sins? What washes away our sins is the blood of Jesus. No one will ever be saved separate and apart from the blood of Jesus. John wrote in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins, listen to him, by his own blood. Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood so that we might enjoy the forgiveness of sins. Peter said, You've been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather by the blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without spot and without blemish. So, Jesus went to the cross, vicariously suffered and died for our sins. Here's what Paul said, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus shed His blood in death, John 19, verses 34 and 35. If the blood of Christ is what saves me, and it does, the all-important question then is this, how do I appropriate that blood? How do I come in contact with His blood? That ought to be a fair question. Does the Bible tell us? Or is the, is the Bible vague and abstract? No, the Bible is very concrete, very plain, very forthright. Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Why would we be baptized into Christ? Well, let me ask this question. Where is salvation? Where would you say salvation is located? Listen to what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is in Christ, that's right. That means in order for me to be a recipient of all the blessings and favors of God, I've got to be in Christ, don't I? How then do I, do I become a part of Christ? How am I united with Christ? How do I get into Christ? Well, Paul answers that, doesn't he? Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Galatians chapter 3, in verse 25, Paul said, You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then he said, As many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Well, why in the world would I want to be baptized into Christ? Because that's where salvation is. 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. I need to be in Christ so that I can be saved. And the only way I can be saved is to be baptized. Mark 16, 16. The only way I can enjoy the remission of sins is to be baptized. Acts 2, 38. The only way my sins can be washed away to be baptized, Acts 22, 16. So I need the blood of Christ, don't I? The Bible talks about the redemption that we have in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom, you, in whom also you have forgiveness, in whom also you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So redemption is in Christ, salvation in Christ. Now, having said all of that, I want to try to illustrate this the best I can. I'm not sure that I'll be able to effectively do it like I would hope to, but I'll do my best. If I had the talent and ability of Karen Ray, then I would feel a lot more comfortable, but I don't have that kind of talent, don't have that kind of ability in terms of drawing. But I want you to see something. We talk about the blood of Christ. 
The blood of Christ and the body of Christ. And sometimes people will negate the importance of baptism. In negating the importance of baptism, what they're saying is, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, do I have to, do I have to contact the blood of Christ to be saved? They'll say yes. Well, then how do I contact that blood? I've got to be baptized into Christ, don't I? And then there are those that will say, well, you know, you can have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't have to be, you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to identify with what the Bible calls as the ecclesia, the community of the saved. So, I want you to think about this for a minute. I don't have a lot of operating room here, but let's just think about a big circle. And in this circle, we have in Christ... All spiritual blessings are in this, in this circle, aren't they? Every spiritual blessing we, we have is in Christ. There's only one way to get into Christ, isn't there? The Bible says the only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Now, the Bible also says that reconciliation is where? Reconciliation is in the body. It's in Christ. So if I'm going to enjoy reconciliation, if I'm going to be reconciled to God, I've got to be in the body, don't I? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. So where is reconciliation? It's in the body. It's in Christ. You can't be reconciled outside of Christ. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Him. So all those who are outside of Christ, they're outside the scope of reconciliation, aren't they? Furthermore, where is redemption? Redemption is where? It's in Christ, it's in the body of Christ. Now what is the body? He's the head of the body of the church. Well, how many churches are there? How many bodies are there? What did Paul say? There's one body, one spirit, even as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So when you're baptized into Christ, what happens? Number one, you contact the blood of Jesus, don't you? That means you enjoy, that means you enjoy redemption. We are redeemed in the blood of Christ. Well, when you obey the gospel, what else happens? You're reconciled to God, aren't you? Can you be saved outside the circle? Can you be saved outside of Christ? Absolutely not. Now I said a minute ago, there are some people who say, well, you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. You don't have to be a part of, quote, unquote, a body. Now that may sound good, but that's not what the Bible teaches. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day, didn't they? When they obeyed the gospel, what did the Lord do? Put them in the church, didn't he? Well, how do I know that? Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So where are the saved? Are they outside or inside? They're inside, aren't they? They're inside the body. To be saved is to be in Christ. To be saved is to be in the church of Christ. Well, how many bodies are there? There's only one body. And by the way, Jesus is the head of this one body. Now I want you to think about something. In the religious world, a lot of folks will say, 
A lot of folks will say, there's one head, but many bodies. Just imagine a fellow down here, and he got multiple bodies. Body here, body here, body here. Is that biblical? Catholicism says there's one body, but you've got two heads. Is that biblical? No. What is biblical? One head and one body. How do I know Jesus is the head of the one body? Because Paul said he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, can I be saved without being in Christ? Absolutely not, because Paul said salvation is in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So that means if I want to be saved, then I have to be baptized. Why? So that I can be a part of His divine body. In Acts chapter 2, and by the way, the Bible knows nothing about people having a relationship with Jesus separate and apart from His divine body. That is not biblical. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who's in the church? The saved. Only the saved. If you want to be saved, you've got to be in the church. You've got to be in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one Spirit were you all baptized, listen to him, into one body. So what does that mean? It means if you want to be saved, you've got to be in the one body. If you want to be saved, you've got to be in Christ. The church is just as much a part of God's redemptive plan as the Christ. They go hand in hand. So to be saved, you've got to be in Christ. And to be saved, you've got to be in the church of Christ. Well, when I call... When I call people, members of the church of Christ. Am I using that in some denominational sense? No, I am not. When I talk about the church of Christ, I'm talking about the church that belongs to Christ. It's His church. It's not my church. When I look at what the New Testament teaches, I read about people who belong to the church of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. I can read about the churches of Christ, Romans 16, 16. I can read about the household of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Now, individually, what are we? Well, I'm a Christian, aren't I? Acts chapter 11. I am a disciple. Acts chapter 5. I am a follower of the way. Acts chapter 9. I am a brother in Christ. Colossians chapter 1. I'm a saint. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. I am a priest of God, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. Those are biblical terms used to describe those of us who belong to the body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about something. Once you're in Christ, that means you have given your life to the Lord. And that means all the foolishness that went on in the world has ceased in your life. If you drank, you don't drink anymore. If you, if you use dope, you don't use that stuff anymore. 
If you were engaging in extramarital relationships or premarital sex, you don't do that anymore. How do I know that? Because Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth. You remember? And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Acts chapter 18, verse 8. So when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ, or rather, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, talking about revilers, extortioners, drunkards. He said, They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's past tense. So that means when you become a member of the body of Christ, when you're in Christ, and you're a member of the church of Christ, if you used to go out and party and run with all your friends and do things that were in the world, that's what you used to do. You can't keep doing that and go to heaven. Do we understand each other? You can't do that. You can't live like the world and go to heaven. You can't go out here and drink and run and take drugs and engage in sexual relations outside of marriage and think that you're still saved in the body of Christ. It doesn't work that way. You got it? You may be acting like that. You may be in the body. You may be in Christ. But you're not acting like a New Testament Christian. Let me tell you what. You're just as lost. No, let me back up. You're in worse shape now than you were before you obeyed the gospel of Christ. You ever thought about that? You're out here ripping and running and acting like a wild man or a wild woman, and you're a member of the body of Christ. Let me tell you what, that stuff won't hunt. It doesn't work that way. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, If after we have received, if after we've come out of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are again therein entangled and overcome. He said, The latter end is worse than the beginning. He said, It would have been better for us not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto us. So you think about that. When we become New Testament Christians, when we are baptized into Christ, we rise to walk in newness of life. That old way of doing things, that's gone. It's over with. Paul said, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now you may tell yourself you're a Christian. And you may say that you're among the members of the body of Christ. You may come to worship. You may engage in various activities with the church. But you are not saved. Why? Because you're living like the world. And if you're in the world, you're lost. So you've been baptized, but you're not faithful? Oh, you're not going to heaven. You can't go to heaven. Not at all. So, sometimes folks have this idea that once they become a child of God, they can just do what they want. Oh, no. Paul asked the question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Listen to him. God forbid. How shall we that died to sin live any longer therein? You can't live like the world. Why? Because you died to the love and the practice of sin. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're in Jesus Christ. You enjoy all spiritual blessings. You have the hope of heaven. So why would you want to give all that up for the world? Let me tell you what. John said the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Let me tell you what. One of the saddest truths in this world 
It's the fact that there are people who are members of the body of Christ. They've been baptized. They came up out of that water to walk in newness of life. They were among the saved, the redeemed, the cleansed, but now they're back in the world and they're lost. And there are people in eternity as we speak who at one time were in that sphere, but not anymore. They're lost forever. So what we're talking about is very important. We're talking about being saved and staying saved. If you had not been saved, there's only one way to be saved, and that's the Lord's way. It's just what they did on Pentecost Day. If you do what they did, let me tell you what, you'll be what they were. Nothing more, nothing less. So if you obey the gospel, then Christ is now your king, isn't he? If you haven't been baptized tonight, I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent, be baptized, so that all your sins can be washed away. I wish I could make it plainer than, than I made it tonight. But I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about what we're talking about. You want to be saved only one way. Only one person can save you. That's the Lord. And if you want to enjoy the riches of heaven, you've got to stay in this circle. You've got to stay in Christ. It means you've got to be faithful until unto death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. I don't want you walking out of here thinking you can go back and just do as you please and live like you want to and drink and take drugs and do all this stuff. No, 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 no. You do that, you're lost. And if you're doing that, here's what you need to do. You need to do it now. You need to repent of your sins. You need to repent. Why? Because you can't go to heaven. You're lost. You are separated from Almighty God. And if you die in that condition, my friend, you will be lost forever and ever. You can't afford that. So are you a member of the body of Christ? My second question is, are you a faithful member of the body of Christ? Remember what Jesus said, be thou faithful until death. Are you faithful? If you're not faithful, then the time is now for you to get it right. I know the world tugs at your heart. It's so easy to get caught up in the world. And I know that when we obey the gospel, we're happy. We rejoice. We're blessed. But sometimes we cross back into the world. So I want you to come home tonight. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?